0: Reverend Mary Vano, and you are listening to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where our conversations about life and faith always include Jesus, others, and you. My guest host today is my friend Debbie Pettibone, also known as Senorita Pettibone at Episcopal Collegiate School, where she teaches Spanish to high school students and serves as the chair of the World Languages Department. Even to those students who are not in her class, Debbie is a beloved member of that community, probably because she's just so nice. (laughs) Debbie, it is a pleasure to have this opportunity to speak with you today.
1: Oh, Mary, speaking to you always brings me peace and joy. So thank you so much for inviting me to be with you and your listeners today. I'm so grateful for this opportunity.
0: So it occurred to me to invite Debbie to speak with us today after I read an article from the National Geographic titled, Is Joy the Same in Every Language? And I thought it would be really interesting to get Debbie's take on that. But first, Debbie, I would be fascinated to hear more about your story with language. Where did you get started?
1: While I experienced the Spanish language and the culture of Spain at a very young age. Where I really found my passion for learning other languages and connecting to other cultures was growing up on Air Force bases all over. My dad was in the Air Force for 20 plus years, so we were all over the place. So I had teachers and made friends from all over the country and world. And I heard all sorts of neat domestic and international accents, as well as a multitude of world languages. And one of my favorite teachers was Miss Yamamoto. She was my third grade teacher at my school in Hickam Harbor Air Force Base in Hawaii. And she was from Japan and she would teach my classmates and me all sorts of things about the beautiful Japanese culture, including how to say lots of phrases in Japanese. I remember when she showed us where she was from on a map and told us that her name Yamamoto means one who lives in the mountains or at the foot of mountains or something similar to that. I love the mountains then as I do now. And I thought that is so cool that a word, a name could be so meaningful. Another thing I remember about Miss Yamamoto connected to languages, you know, when some of my classmates were making fun of my last name, Pettibone, I admit you can have lots of fun with that. She told me that when she hears my name, it's like Kambina. And she wrote it down for me on a piece of paper, which I used as a bookmark for years and years until it fell apart. So that word, Kambina, is what is used in Japanese to describe something that is audibly beautiful. And we don't have a perfect translation for it in English. That's as close as we can get, really. Since then, when anyone says something funny about my last name, I remember that about Miss Yamamoto, what she said about Kambina. I'm lucky because I had lots of such experiences related to language and culture growing up that sparked a lifelong passion for understanding others' cultures. And man, I'm so grateful for that. That
0: really sounds like a special life experience to be (laughs)
1: exposed to so many
0: languages and cultures. I think my first experience like that was honestly at Disney World. When I was maybe 11 years old, we went to Disney World and there were so many people speaking different languages. I just thought that was fascinating. Was there something in particular about the Spanish language that took hold in you?
1: I have some Spanish heritage growing up and hearing that language and visiting Spain. That made it so much more special to me. And I just like the way it sounds, to be honest with you, even if I didn't have that personal cultural connection. It just sounds so rhythmic and beautiful that I guess something that really connected and touched me.
0: I was introduced to Spanish a little while after Disney World. I did not get quite the diverse upbringing that you had, but when I was 12, We moved to Harlingen, Texas, which is on the border with Mexico. And that was my first exposure really to a foreign language, a world language being spoken around me so much. And I really, for a long time, really wanted to, really tried to learn Spanish. Turns out I was really bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) I think I took Spanish classes in some form or another. From my seventh grade year up till about my junior year in college, (laughs) it didn't stick with me. I still kind of wish that it would, but I really admire what you do. I think because I've tried it and failed, I think it's really special when I know somebody like you who can speak more than one language and not only can do that, but can share it with others. What do you think is so important? about learning other languages? Why do you think it's important for your students to learn world languages?
1: So many reasons. The nerdy part of me comes out here when I tell you that research shows that those who speak more than one language have better memory and concentration, increased cognitive and critical thinking skills, higher standardized test scores, and stronger understanding of first languages. In other words, those who are bi or multilingual have much stronger brain power. They're also more confident and compassionate communicators in general. So aside from those important, yet I admit, slightly nerdy benefits, in my opinion, (laughs) the greatest part of speaking other languages is connecting to people from other cultures. When young people or people of any age acquire other languages, they are really learning about or really acquiring other cultures. And culture is the foundation of language and vice versa. And so the earlier that we begin to practice and value multicultural experiences, the sooner we become more culturally competent beings. And there are so many advantages to that for all of us.
0: I mean, just being able to connect with each other, which is something we're kind of missing during the pandemic is absolutely just connecting with other people. But having the privilege of being able to connect with somebody really different from you can be very eye-opening. are two important stories in the Bible that have to do with world languages, and they're related to each other. One is the story of the Tower of Babel. It's from Genesis, so it's an origin story, an attempt by those folks to explain why there are so many diverse human languages. This is in Genesis 11. The story tells us that the Babylonians were attempting to build a tower so high that its top was in the heavens, God saw that they were potentially very powerful, but also dangerously very vain. (laughs) They were (laughs) proud. And the tower was sort of an exhibit of their pride that they could reach the heavens. They could be as powerful as God. And part of that power came from their ability to, they were all speaking the same language. They could communicate easily. So according to the story, God disrupted them, disrupted their vanity and pride by confusing their languages. And it works, the people scatter. Much later on, much, much later, we have an episode in the book of Acts that is often described as the reversal of Babel. And it occurs on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and gives them the ability to speak in other languages. I think, that this is just awesome. <laughs> it's a great story because I think that what God is doing is empowering the disciples to restore human community and importantly, to share the good news of God's love with diverse people. And I do find it really interesting, though, that it's not exactly a reversal of Babel. God doesn't just magically erase all the cultures and languages of the world, instead, God keeps all that diversity but enables, empowers them to speak and understand each other. He's just given them sort of a Rosetta Stone course (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, through, through this power of the Holy Spirit. There's something to be said here about the potential of human creativity and connection when we can listen and speak and understand people who are different from us. Have you experienced the power of that connection and creativity through languages?
1: This makes me think of one of my favorite quotations from Nelson Mandela. And I've said this to my friends and students so many times. He said, when you speak to a man in a language, he understands you speak to his head. And then when you speak to him in his own language, you speak to his heart. And so when we speak to people's hearts and when people speak to our hearts, I believe that we forge deep connections with those people. And the more such connections we have across borders, across cultures, the less conflict we have in our world. I truly believe that. And, you know, you use the word empower. And I think that's incredibly, incredibly empowering. One of the many experiences that comes to mind is the exchange program that we, and by we I mean Episcopal Collegiate School, have with uh, Colegio Concepcion San Pedro, and it's a school in Chile, in South America. And just, you know, a brief synopsis of it is where we have a group of students come to Episcopal Collegiate for two weeks in January during their summer vacation, and they attend classes and they come with a couple of teachers. So they attend classes, live with host families that are completely immersed in the culture and language. And then we go into the same thing in their community in June during our summer vacation for two weeks. And the friendships that have blossomed during those exchanges, not only between the students, but also the families. Our Mm -hmm. students and many of our families have built lifelong friendships and have made plans to meet up outside of that exchange program. And I hear stories all the time from students and their parents about the ongoing conversations that they're having with those Chileans. So opportunities such as this exchange program, for one example, provides tons of opportunities for people from different cultures to speak to each other's hearts and thank God for that.
0: It actually reminds me of those years when I was growing up on the border. One of my best friends was a Mexican-American. Her parents or maybe grandparents had been the first immigrants in her family to cross the border. And her parents made a decision not to teach their daughter Spanish because they knew there was a prejudice and they knew that their daughter would have more opportunities if she was not perceived as a Spanish speaker. It was very sad to me because her grandmother only spoke Spanish. And my friend spoke very little Spanish by her parents' intention she missed this connection that she might have had with her grandmother if there hadn't been prejudice but we need to be able to speak to each other's hearts so much to be gained there so much to learn from each other but also when we glimpse the world through other people's eyes we always can see something new In seminary, we were required to learn biblical languages. We had a choice. We could choose either Greek or Hebrew. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, the New Testament originally in Greek. So I chose to study Greek. And it was in that study that I really began to learn that translation is more of an art than a science. Because language is... Correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) But it's more than just a system of verbal symbols. It is connected with our culture and time and location and perspective. It just transcends the actual words, right? Right. For instance, when we're talking about biblical languages, one of the words I learned in the Greek is metanoia, which is usually translated in our Bibles as repentance. It's about repenting from sin. In the English, that word repentance has a really moral perspective on it. But metanoia literally in the Greek is about changing one's mind or even more deeply changing one's heart. It's really about the transformation process, being willing to be transformed, which goes a whole lot deeper than saying that we're sorry for our sins. Or there's another important word in the Gospel of John, which is menos which is the word that we usually translate abide. In the gospel of John, Jesus is always talking about abiding, abiding with God, abiding with us. We are to abide with him. The Greek really is talking about setting up a tent and staying that the word sets up a tent with us. It's like makes itself at home. It's a temporary kind of home because we're always on the move, but it has that richer meaning. And then one more example that was really profound for me, it's really simple, but important for me, was when I learned that Paul's letters were not just written to the brothers. Most Bible translations will begin, dear brothers in Christ. But the word that's being translated there is a adelphoi, which is in the Greek, literally brothers. But like Spanish, Greek has both the masculine and feminine and the singular and plural right. in the ending of the word. So when you have a mixed gender setting, a plural setting, you default to the masculine, but that doesn't mean that there aren't women in the group. Surely there were. <laughs> Surely, we know that there were because we Paul know, talks right. about them. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> he names them. So in other words, When translators translate those letters, not dear brothers in Christ, but dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not just some sort of liberal agenda that they're pushing. They're actually going back to that original Greek and pulling out the full meaning of the word. Those are interesting things that I have gained through that kind of limited study of language that have opened up my understanding of scripture. Are there insights that you too have gained through language learning that you wouldn't have had you not been exposed to that other culture?
1: Yeah. And this is very interesting, Marian. I love that you shared it. Honestly, it makes me think of one of my other favorite quotations. I know I'm a quotations nerd. Statistics and quotations. That's my jam, as the right. answers say. I'm not sure if I'm using that correctly, but you know, living languages are always changing. So we older people can take that young language and change it change those words into meaning. So I'm going to say that's my jam and I'm going to hold to it. This one is by St. Augustine and it goes, you know, something like the world is like a book and those who do not travel read only a page. And while I agree with St. Augustine and believe that traveling to other communities to have human to human exchanges incomparable, because we can make sense of those words and negotiate meaning of those words. I like how the Nat Geo articles author linguist Jen Rose Smith, she says that while travelers tend to think that seeing the world is central to understanding it, some language experts shift the paradigm. To them, words themselves shape our perspectives on the world. And so studying words, like you were just mentioning, therefore offers a window into the human experience. Mary, I agree with you too, that culture is much more than just a system of symbols or words cultures made up of products practices and perspectives or sort of the what the how and the why and that last part the perspectives or the why is the most important part in my opinion When we understand and appreciate why people do things differently or use language differently and looking throughout history and how language was used and perhaps interpreted and how it can be interpreted either the same way or differently now, then, you know, we're respecting those differences and thus we don't consider them weird or bad, but rather there's different and unique and human diversity is awesome. And thank goodness we don't have to suffer homogeneity, not only in the present, but also looking back throughout history.
0: Teenagers also, they remind us that language shifts. I have teenagers at home. As you know, you work with a lot more teenagers, but I learn new words from my teenagers all the time. Apparently these days, if you say no cap, that means you're not lying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a new one. I'll have to write that one down in my colloquial language of the teenagers, which is always changing. So I have to keep it updated.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Where do you find joy in your language learning?
1: That was one example, learning how different generations communicate and how language changes over time. I'm fascinated by that. I'm so fortunate that I find it every day. So observing a student feel confident when producing another language, joy. Reading a student's poem written in another language, joy. Hearing or reading a student's reflection when making a cultural connection focused on mostly similarities between two or more linguistically different communities, joy. Honestly, when I learn something new from my students, which is all the time, that is absolute joy. That, one of my favorite sayings that I've said to my students many times is, well, to teach is to learn. I'm a work in progress, and I'm happy to admit that. And aside from that, I love to laugh, especially at myself. Sometimes I laugh at inappropriate times, but that's just, <laughs> again, that's how I roll. It reminds me of one of the many summers I've spent teaching business English in Madrid, I was working with Roberto and some of his colleagues at a local bank there with their English. And one day after about a month of working together, Roberto said in his beautiful Spanish accent, something like, Debbie, what do you mean when you're saying nom mean? And I thought, have I talked about gnomes and didn't remember it? Because I do, you know, I am fascinated by gnomes, but I don't remember talking about gnomes. And so we went back and forth, you know, negotiating, where's this coming from? And we finally realized and laughed hysterically together that I was saying something, I smushed something into two syllables that needed to be six syllables. I needed to be saying to people who were learning English as another language, I needed to say, do you know what I mean? And what I was saying to them was, what no, I mean, so that was just normal to me. And so that was just a funny anecdote of an experience I had with language that happened probably 15 years ago. And I still think about it on a regular basis and tell my students about it because we'll listen to a video in Spanish or listen to a radio interview in Spanish, an authentic one. And students will ask me, why are they speaking so fast? It's like, let me tell you the story about gnome means and gnomes. <laughs> 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 and it helps them to understanding that it depends on the person. Some people are fast talkers and for me when I get excited I speak really fast and turn six words or six syllables and mush it into two. That brought me a lot of the laughter I've had over the years. I can tell you so many stories, but another one that pops in my mind is we had a student from China, his name was Tianchung Gang, and I'm probably mispronouncing that and I apologize. Most people called him Johnny. He was a member of that diversity council that I sponsor. Well, Johnny had the suggestion that a group of students and a couple of teachers go to this Chinese restaurant that's inside of a grocery store in Southwest Little Rock. And so we all go to this place and it was so neat. And we order all these different foods and the waitress comes over and she speaks to Johnny and he laughs in response to what she said in Chinese. Now, I do not speak Chinese. I can understand some words. But I immediately laughed with him as if I'm understanding what just happened. And Johnny or Tian Cheng looked at me and he was like, do you understand, Miss Pettibone? My face got red. And then I laughed hysterically. And I was like, I have no idea. But your joy brought me joy. And it just seemed like the right thing to do. Well, then the entire table, we were laughing. I think it was a combination of laughing with me and at me. Uh That is totally fine. But I won't go into too many more anecdotes. But. A lot of my joy has come from laughter associated with negotiating meaning of language.
0: So we're back to the question from the article. What do you think? Is joy the same in every language?
1: You know, I think about humans around the world. I'm channeling my psychology classes that I took way back 100 years ago in college. They have similar physiological responses to joyous moments, again, around the world that correspond to brain signals that are transmitted to nerves in various body systems, like the circulatory one, for example. And that these physical sensations are coupled with chemical changes in their brains, like increased dopamine, endorphins, and the other feel-goody chemicals. And so while we homo sapiens or humans have those physiological responses in common, I recognize that and I appreciate that. The triggers that cause those physical responses and the verbal and nonverbal reactions that we have are unique to each culture, based on my experience and the research I've done over the years. With some things being shared by multiple cultures, and more of that happening, more of that sharing happening now across cultures, you know, due to increased global connectedness thanks Mm -hmm. to technology and other things. I agree with the psychologist, Dr. Lomas, who is referenced in the National Geographic article that you mentioned. So, I agree with him in that untranslatable words really have the power to uplift and transform our reality in many positive ways. Those are his words. They provide a window into the lives of other cultures, revealing things about their experiences and their values and traditions. And as he says, in this fragmented and divisive age, that kind of empathetic understanding is important. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And honestly, while joy is certainly distinct to each language because of cultural differences, I also think that joy is the same across languages and cultures in some ways, and I think those aspects are wonderful to consider.
0: We're all human, and we, yes. share, we share those human emotions, but sometimes they look slightly different from where you are in the world. That's great. That can bring understanding. Well, Debbie, you have made my joy complete today. This was really fun. One last story I might share is that several years ago, my family went to Europe and I was nervous about France. Paris was where we were going. I don't speak any French. I've heard that Parisians don't really like Americans who (laughs) sort of (laughs) go to Paris and expect people to only speak English to them. And so through Episcopal Collegiate School, the French teacher Actually spoke with Stephen and said, "What you need to know, if you don't speak French, the very least you can do is greet people in their own language." And so we tried to learn a little bit of language before we went, but mostly, we were comfortable with Bonjour. And it was amazing how that really did open doors for us. People were willing to be patient and kind with us because they knew we were making an effort to show that we understood we were guests there and try to understand who they were from their place in the world. It's good for us to learn, even if it's limited, to learn just a little bit from other people's languages.
1: Because even just that little bit, like we mentioned earlier regarding Nelson Mandela and his wise words of speaking to someone in his or her language, you're speaking to his or her heart. And even if it is just a word or a few words, that's a good way to do it. I think that's great advice. No matter where you travel, know those key phrases and begin to speak to people's hearts. At the very least, demonstrate respect.
0: Well, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. As always, if you have questions or comments or suggestions, send an email to me at mvano at org. Join us again next time because RJOY is not complete without you. Is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soul, our producer.